and it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. This morning, Pastor Elliot preaches from Jonah chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. We'll see the comforting truth that our God puts all of the co's in the incidents. And now, Pastor Robert Elliott. It had started out being so stormy that it threatened the ship being broken up, but by this point, that storm was escalating. They said, what do we need to do to you to solve this problem? And Jonah knew. And he said to them, verse 12, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Make me a human sacrifice. Toss me overboard. My life as a sacrifice to my God and maybe he'll stop the storm. Pick me up, throw me into the sea, then the sea will become calm for you for I know that on account of me this great storm has come upon you. However, you would think at this point they say gladly, <laughs> gladly guy, bye. However, the men rowed desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea became even stormier against them. It is interesting that these pagans, these guys that had their own idols, who didn't know the true God, didn't trust the true God, didn't serve the true God, these pagans were more pro-life than God's prophet. God said, you go to Nineveh. Jonah said, nope, I'm going to Tarshish. Jonah's finally confronted by the lots, by God using the lots, and he admits that he's the problem. He says, throw me overboard. But these pagans had more value on human life than Jonah did, and they tried to row their way to shore, which was impossible. Interesting. Verse 14. And then they, the sailors, called on the Lord in your Bible, does Lord have all capital letters? This is the Hebrew word Yahweh or Jehovah. This was the name of God that stressed that he was in covenant, promise with his people, the Jews, and he always keeps his promises. These guys called out to Yahweh. They knew his name. That's interesting. Then they called on the Lord and said, we earnestly pray, O Yahweh, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. Do not put innocent blood on us, for thou, O Yahweh, Jehovah, hast done as thou hast pleased. Wow, there's so much packed into this prayer that these pagans would know that name of God, would call upon that God, knowing what the name means, that he's a promise keeper, that they earnestly prayed to him that they would not perish on account of this man's life. But will you notice, they had a low view of sin. They called Jonah's blood innocent blood. They had a low view of sin. God did not see Jonah's blood as being innocent blood. He was guilty of disobeying God and running away. But these sailors who had it right to pray to the true promise-keeping God didn't have it right when they called Jonah's blood innocent. I wonder, we who are in relationship with God through Jesus Christ, do we ever have a low view of sin? It's not that bad. Everybody's doing it. 
when we have a low view of sin and we think we can afford it, the cost it exacts, then we can be in trouble, even as God's children. Maybe they thought that compared to other people, they knew that Jonah was innocent. That's another thing that is a satanic lie, that when we say, well, compared to him, (laughs) my sin's nothing. All sin is sin to God. For whatever reason, they mistakenly called Jonah's blood innocent blood. But notice that they understand that God is king of the universe and creation. For they say in their prayer, O Lord, thou hast done as thou hast pleased. They understand that God sent the storm because it pleased God to send the storm. They understood that God sent the storm because it revealed his runaway prophet and the ship. They understood that God was sovereign. He was not a victim, a reactionary creator to what was going on in creation. He was proactive. We need to realize that. So, verse 15, they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea. And the sea stopped raging. These pagans with their tailor-made gods feared and reverenced the true God of creation enough that they obeyed what his prophet said would work. And they reluctantly, because they didn't want him to die, they reluctantly, because they tried to row to the shore to spare his life, they reluctantly pitched him into the waves, the white caps. Can't you imagine? They throw him overboard, and the ship is rocking violently, and they watch him go under. And they think, he's a goner. Sometimes when you do God's will, people around you will say, she's a goner. There's no chance. Write him off. You know, he's doing that. That is just plain crazy. These sailors probably just had that viewpoint. Wow, he's gone. We'll never see him again. Throw him into the surf. He's a goner. Then what do they do? It's interesting, they didn't batten down the hatches. They didn't try rowing to shore. They decided to do something in response to the reverence to Jonah's God. They decided to make a sacrifice to that God. And they decided to make vows to that God. These guys meant business. These guys weren't just trying to solve a storm problem, although they were trying to solve a storm problem. They were also trying to rearrange their belief system. And so they made a sacrifice. After they pitched Jonah into the sea, they made a sacrifice. I don't know what it was. Scripture doesn't tell us. They made a sacrifice to Jonah's God, the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, and they made vows. We don't know what the vows were. One could imagine they might have said, Jehovah, Yahweh, if you can get us safely out of this storm, we'll believe in you and we'll serve you. But the Scriptures doesn't, don't say what the vows actually were, but they did make vows. They were truly repentant. Verse 17, last verse. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. I love it that the scriptures say that God appointed. You know, we don't believe in coincidences as Christians because we have a sovereign God. We believe that our sovereign God puts the co in the incidents. We believe our God puts the co in the incidents for his reasons, for his glory, for our good. He causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. And so verse 17 says, and the Lord appointed, directed a great fish to be in the right spot at the right time 
to swallow Jonah. Judging by the severity of the storm and the driving winds and the waves, Jonah wouldn't last very long, even if he was an Olympic-quality swimmer. But God had the great fish where the fish needed to be, at the right depth, at the right precise spot, GPS position in the Mediterranean in that storm, and the great fish, being appointed of God, swallowed Jonah alive. What a story. Come hear and see the fabulous performance of world-renowned pianist Sam Rotman for free on Saturday, September 10th and Sunday, September 11th. He has given over 2,700 performances in 60 countries and is described as a pianist of no small talent. He possesses a thoroughly prepared technique and his playing is convincing and alive. Come and experience Sam Rotman's profound, expressive, dynamic, and exciting concert performances for the first time in the Bahamas on either Saturday, September 10th at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Kirk on Princess Street at 6.30 p.m. or Sunday, September 11th at Calvary Bible Church on Collins Avenue at 6 p.m. Bring your family for a night to remember. For more information, Call us at 326-0800. That is 326-0800. Today's Helpful Hearing segment is brought to you by Calvary Bible Church's Christian Counseling Center. The center is located at 58 Collins Avenue, Nassau, Bahamas. If you would like an appointment or more information, dial 323-7000. That's 323-7000. Or email them at cccbahamas at gmail.com. And now, Pastor Robert Elliott. Today, I'm pleased to be in the recording studio talking counseling matters with Pastor Frederick and Sister Helen Arnett. I've said it more than once since being pastor here at Calvary Bible Church is that the only people I know that don't have any problems are the people I don't know very well yet. That's right. And that includes me. That's the right. man in the pulpit has problems, That's and right. I would benefit from That's counseling right. yeah. of others. Right. Yeah. And I think we want to create a culture at Calvary Bible Church mm. where uh, this is faced up to yes. and that we can talk beyond the weather yes. or sports or shopping in the church foyer before or after a church service. And we can talk at a heart level. Mm. How are you today? Well, I'm struggling with guilt. Or right. how are you today? I'm struggling with parenting my kids. Right. Mm. And we can be honest and open with each other without judging each other. Uh-huh. Well, that's that's very good. I just want to touch on that same area when you said about the secret all hiding. Mm-hmm. I, I find like sometimes I share with clients that hiding and having secrets keep you very lonely because yes. then you have to put a lot of energy into this and keep this under the carpet or and after a while you stub your toe and you end up messing up anyway and then it's it's going to create another disorder in your life so i feel like you know you need to at some point come forward and disclose mm-hmm. Because people are as sick or as seen as their secrets mm-hmm. and family. Mm-hmm. So, you know. Can you say that again, Sister Helen? Uh, people are as sick or as seen as their secrets. Mm. They keep them trapped. Mm. And there's power in that secret. Mm-hmm. I think about people who are being abused and they are in 
incestuous relationship and they say, don't talk. So you, you then make the perpetrator a very powerful monster. Mm. He's inflicting pain and he's doing whatever. And so this is our little family secret or this is between us and we don't share it. And then he goes on or she and they inflict the same harm on another family member. Mm. So you have in families where you have this one person who does all this evil and it's kept a secret. Mm. It's trapped in the family. So I think we need to expose it. We need to lovingly, um, if he can't come to our pastor, speak to someone in confidence and say, I need help and I need to get rid of this secret. Because yes. to be trapped there, then you're going to have anxiety attack, panic attack, some other disorder. Yes. Truth lives in the light. Yes. 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 And yes. freedom lives in the light, yes. not in the yes. dark. Yes. yes. And once we continue in the truth, not just knowing the truth, once we continue in the truth, there's freedom, and the Lord Jesus himself says, when you continue in the truth, the truth sets you free. Not just knowing it, but you right. have to want to walk in it. Excellent, yeah. excellent. Yeah. What about accountability? Uh, is that helpful? Yeah, I think accountability is very important, to be honest and upfront and admit that I'm getting help. Or um, if you're sent by your pastor, be accountable and I don't think he has to be after you with a nightstick and say, did you go or what are you into? I guess like Shakespeare say, to thine own self be true. I think you have to start being accountable with self. That's a good place yeah. to start. Yeah, or the psalmist say, search me. But if mm -hmm. we're going to um, feel like we can be held to scale to do whatever we like, it's not going to work. We need that accountability. Yes. For instance, if the demon is uh, alcohol, it'd be helpful, I would think, to have someone that would just ask you straight up if you had a drink. Right? Yeah, yeah. Right. And not limp with you. Not say, I see him look like he was staggering or he looks really mellow. I'm not going to touch it. I think, too, in this whole area of accountability, we need persons to be honest and confront in a loving way. Yeah. You know, in a loving way. Because I think too many of us, when we are confronting, we are coming after the person like a bully yes. or a police officer, and then it creates... Discord. Yes. Until you are mature enough to recognize, of course, that you can be open and honest, you're not going to trust anybody to be accountable to. Mm. And now, today's personal God story. My name is Vanria Jack, and this is my God story. I was born the youngest of three into the family of Ruth and Ralph Hanna, in the little settlement of Foxtown, Abaco. My parents were both teachers on the island and had been making preparations for my mother, who was pregnant with me, to come to New Providence the following day so that she could give birth in Nassau. But I decided to come two months early and thus earned the distinction of the only sibling to be delivered by my father. Because I had arrived prematurely and was so tiny, my father held little hope that I would survive. His efforts were on saving my mother, but he often joked in my childhood that when he passed the bottle of alcohol near my nose that I started crying and have been crying ever since. But unlike my earthly birth, which was wrought with surprise, my spiritual birth was celebrated by an all-knowing Heavenly Father. We began attending Calvary Bible Church from when I was about two or three. From way back then, church was, and still is, a major part of my life. 
For most of my life before the age of seven, my mother was not well. There were periods of time when she was in and out of hospital. In those days, children were not told much about what was happening when someone was sick. I do recall on many Sundays, my father dropping us to church and going on to the hospital to be with my mother. One Sunday, he was particularly late picking us up from church. He dropped us home and left to go back out, but not before leaving a note on the table for us to read. The note informed us that our mother had passed away. He sent my aunt, who was living in a house nearby, to comfort us, obviously too distraught to deal with us himself. When I first received the news, I did not want to believe that my mother was dead, but eventually reality sunk in. In the days following, I was devastated and confused. The thought that my mother could die had never crossed my mind. I always thought she would come out of hospital again, again like she always did. A sense of sadness gripped my life, and it slowly turned into a deep anger at God. How could he allow my mother to die? Why did he take her away from me? Although I continued to attend church, my heart was not in it like before. For a time, I even stopped smiling. I felt differently from my friends who still had mothers to nurture them. I remember our pastor at the time, Pastor Cole and his wife, Catherine, taking an interest in these small children who had just lost their mom. One of the memorable things that Sister Cole did was to take us on an island tour and for a nice lunch, which allowed us to be momentarily distracted from our grief. Facing one of the toughest jobs of his life, my father bravely took on the role of mother and father. He ruled with an iron hand. Hard work was his philosophy of life. After a week of working tirelessly as a school administrator, he would work on Saturdays from sunup to sundown on his many projects, and he expected his children to do the same. My sister, at the young age of 12, took over the running of the house. She cooked, washed, and sewed. My brother and I would assist with the cleaning until Daddy began taking him out to work with him on Saturdays. I recall getting up early to complete chores. Perhaps this is why even now I am usually up way before the sun peeks its head over the horizon. My father continued to ensure that we attended church. We children enjoyed church and its many activities. In fact, one could probably find us engaged in church activities every night of the week. This was by our own choice. But in spite of this, I still wrestled with my relationship with God. When I was nine, my father moved me to Nassau Christian Academy. And this was a Christian-based school, and we spent many days in chapel, services, and in classes exploring God's Word. I realized that although I was attending church, I still did not have a personal relationship with God. I was under conviction about this for several weeks. Finally, I came to the realization that I did not want to spend an eternity without Christ. One Friday night, after returning from a church activity, I asked Denise, my sister, who was lying in bed next to me, to lead me in the sinner's prayer. She was more than happy to do this. 
I had finally accepted Jesus into my heart, slowly joy began to return to my life. I learned to trust God as I navigated the teen years and moved into adulthood. He was there as I moved through university, as I married my husband of 24 years, and through the struggles of a difficult pregnancy. God has never left my side. He has made the impossible possible right before my eyes. I can recall one morning in particular many years ago when my family and I were driving on John F. Kennedy Drive near the lake. The engine of the car we were driving made the most horrific sound and then went silent. My husband managed to coast to the side of the road. The lake was on our left and the bushes on our right. We were stranded. At best, it would have been a long walk into town and we had our young daughter with us. To top it all off, we were not owners of a cell phone at that time. I started to pray silently. Would you believe right in the middle of that bush, sitting on a rock in the middle of nowhere, directly opposite of where our car had come to a halt, was a young man from our church. He had been waiting for a ride to take him to work. Guess what he had with him? A cell phone. God had lovingly prepared for us to get through this car crisis in advance by placing this young man directly in our path. I believe that God ordered his steps that day totally with us in mind. He wanted us to know that he is sufficient to take care of all of our needs. But when we go through trials as Christians, sometimes God does not change our circumstances. He does not intervene in the way in which we, we might desire, but he allows us to draw on his strength and gives us the peace to cope with whatever the trial I find that when I lay my burdens in his hands and I claim the promise of his word, my spirit is able to soar and I feel so free. My father passed away after a lengthy illness last year. Immediately after his death, I was struck with the awareness that all that he worked to so hard for on this earth, he had left behind. He carried nothing with him into eternity. It was the things that he had done for Christ that really mattered. Thank God he was a faithful serving member of Calvary Bible Church for many years. Although I miss both of my parents tremendously, I have peace in the knowledge that I will one day see them again in heaven because fortunately, many years ago, they both surrendered their hearts to their master. I hope and pray, dear friends, that if you have not already accepted Jesus in your heart, that you will one day come to know him in a personal way. Tomorrow is not promised. Do it today. It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions, which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com. Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Laney's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997. And once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliott. 
Matthew chapter 26, verse 30. This is just before Jesus was betrayed and just after he had his last supper with his disciples. Matthew 26, 30. And after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. The question is, what hymn did Jesus sing with his disciples as they left the upper room for the Mount of Olives? Well, according to well-established Jewish tradition of that time, the Hallel Psalms, namely Psalms 113, 114, 115, 116, 117, and 118, were sung during the Passover meal. And the last psalm of those to be sung would have been Psalm 118. In the last verses of Psalm 118, verses 22 through 29, would have been the, the part of the hymn that they would have actually sung as they left that upper room to cross through the Kidron Valley to go to the other side to the Garden of Gethsemane, where our precious Savior uh, was betrayed and arrested. And I just want to read for you Psalm 118, verses 22 through 29, so you can catch the significance of what these disciples, along with their Lord, sang in praise to God before Jesus' betrayal and arrest. Psalm 118, 22 to 29. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, do save, we beseech thee. O Lord, we beseech thee, do send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and he has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. Thou art my God, and I give thanks to thee. Thou art my God, and I extol thee. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m., in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, Everyone needs a savior.